Hey everybody, I'm XTV producer Jennifer Moore, and welcome to episode two of XTV Newsers. Now in the last episode, we featured longtime Tampa newsman, Brendan McLaughlin, and in this episode, we have another very longtime news reporter. This is Mike Deason, and if you've ever been through Tampa or lived in Tampa, you've probably seen him. He retired earlier this year as the senior investigative reporter for WTSP, the CBS station in Tampa, and he has more awards than probably anybody I know. And in fact, some of them are right behind him. Mike, thank you so much for doing this show and, and for doing this. Uh, like, this is a very early project, but I really appreciate you being here. Yeah, Jennifer, I'm delighted to be here. I think this is a very cool project. I, I, I'm excited for you for getting this off the ground. And I'm so excited to have you. And that's what I was thinking is after you leave the business, not a lot of people ask you about your experience or about your opinion. And particularly not the off-air people like producers or, you know, photographers. And those people have experience too. So I figured, you know, why not give people a place to, you know, kind of decompress. And also you're able to speak a little bit more freely now that you're not in the business. You, you can talk a little more candidly and this is hopefully a good place to do it. All right. Yeah, but so I, was, I was always outspoken. Anyway, yeah. the station, they knew I was a pain in the butt outside of the people. <laughs> I was investigating but inside the, the uh, man. You are, you are never, you don't seem like the kind of guy that is afraid to be yourself. No, no, I'm not. And, and for anyone who doesn't know, a lot of people, someone like Mike is very rare in the TV news business. A lot of people come and go. I'm sure you've seen people come and go all your career. So someone with nearly 50 years of experience in TV news is, is almost unheard of now. So if you're watching this, you need to listen to this man because he knows what he's talking about. So please listen to this guy because he's, he's done things and had experiences that you have not yet. So in other words, what Jennifer's saying is I'm an old person. No, no, you're, saying, you're, you're more of an expert on life than someone like me. So a lot of people like might not realize that, but it's, it's people like you that we should be looking to and, and learning from. Well, thanks. So, Mike, you in your nearly 50-year career, what jobs have you held at various TV stations? Well, I was, uh, uh, I, I actually, I did some sports in Buffalo uh, and in uh, Saginaw, Michigan. I, I did sports there. Um, I initially got into business doing that. I uh, did general assignment reporting. As anybody who wants to be an investigative reporter, you don't start out doing that. You've got to learn how, how to do a story. And uh, I did a lot of political reporting, which actually led me into investigative reporting because I found lots of problems with uh, politics and all and, and people lying and, and governmental breakdowns, which I wanted to expose. And that, that led me to investigative reporting. And for people who are not really familiar, how is being an investigative reporter different than being a general assignment reporter? Well, first of all, I think being an investigative reporter is the best job in the business. Uh, I, I love being an investigative reporter and still consider myself that. We can get into that in a bit. But an investigative reporter doesn't uh, necessarily do a story every single day. You work on stories for a, a long period of time because of the um, uh, economies of the TV stations. Uh, they want you to be on the air as much as you possibly can, but you've got to research it and uh, put together the information and make sure you have everything right, because usually they are accusatory stories. It's exposing wrongdoing or greed or governmental problems. And uh, so you, you've got to do a lot of research 
to uh, nail it down. And, and as a matter of fact, oh, let me tell you about my stories. When I would write a story, it would uh, uh, be reviewed by our investigative unit uh, producer, then our investigative unit executive producer, then our news director, and then our uh, Washington, D.C. attorney who would put me on the witness stand and go line by line and say, what paperwork do you have to cover this? What wow. paperwork do you have? Yeah, because I was That's sued. intense. It is, it is. But, but it was good because I was sued a lot of times because we did so many accusatory stories. Never lost because we had it nailed. But anybody can file a lawsuit. Usually it's when they're either yeah. embarrassed or mad. But we never lost. So I never, never had any problem with, with them saying that to me. And that's, it goes to the importance of really, really digging deep and also getting your facts right and making sure that the stuff you're reporting is, is, is correct. Right, right. And, and you, I think you are kind of, you are very well known in the area for being sort of the watchdog and for keeping people accountable. So it's people like you that, that really brought a lot of these issues, local issues to light. I tried to because I got personally offended uh, by, by people who were uh, greedy or governmental agencies that weren't doing the right thing. I mean, it really, really bugged me, still does. And so uh, I was more than happy to uh, expose that. Yeah. And for, for the people watching, that being an investigative reporter is, is a job that not many people can do, especially not as long as you did successfully. So that it's, it's, a very, it's a very difficult job. And also you, you were working a lot on stories. These weren't puff pieces. You were confronting people all the time that didn't really want a story to be done on them. That, that's very true. I mean, and, and what I would do, my, my rule was that if I was doing a story about someone, they would appear on camera. I would call them up and they might say, I have no comment. And I would always say, you have the uh, right, certainly not to comment about the story, but you're going to have to say that on camera to me. And I don't call it an ambush uh, uh, journalism because I would say, I'll tell you where I'm going to be and I will track you down and find you until I get you on camera. And then I always say, I recommend you do it in your office, which is your kingdom, rather than on the street, which is my kingdom. Some took that advice, some did not. What's the longest you ever had to wait for somebody, like staking out a place? Well, geez, there was, the, the, the longest was once we waited for a week. Uh, th th this is in, in a one week period where we were trying to get a guy who had been uh, arrested for, um, uh, targeting young kids. He had been out of jail and did it again. It was horrible. And we waited all week long to get a 10-second shot of him. And on Friday, I mean, we got there at 8 in the morning, stayed until 8 at night. On Friday of that week, our news director said, um, if you don't get him today, you got to do the story without him. Wow. Uh, and you're like, I got to get this guy. Yeah, yeah, we got him that Friday. And then also, um, in the past year or two, I was trying to get a state representative uh, who uh, I went to his house, I went to his girlfriend's house. He was at a bar one night in St. Petersburg. I waited outside for four hours and he slipped out a back entrance. So I, then I had to go to Tallahassee and I knew the session was, uh, was starting. He either had to sleep in his office or deal with me. But so that, that took several weeks uh, to, to, to get them. But I, I hate stakeouts. I hate stakeouts. I hate stakeouts until we get our 10 seconds of video and then I go, I love stakeouts. Yeah, I love you're, you're, this is the glamorous side of news people. This is, you are living, you are living the good life out there, right? Outside, the, car. The, the worst is, is in every investigative reporter has done this is, is having to go to the bathroom. Oh, uh, and you're like, I, uh, yeah, I'm like, 
So some some people will carry Gatorade uh, 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 bottles. I didn't like to do that unless you're in a live truck. But but usually then you go, okay, we've been here for four hours. He's not come out or she's not come out. Should we chance it and then take 10 minutes and run to the clear nearest gas? Really, that's problem. That's that's crazy. And that's something you don't you don't think about unless you're until you're there. That's insane. That's right. You get to know your photographer very well so <laughs> all day long. Now, all right. What is the best part about working in the news business, in your opinion? Um, I think it's that we in the news business get to see people, get to see things firsthand that people only vicariously live. We experience it right there and they zero for it. I've been to uh, launches over at the Cape of the, uh, uh, at the shuttle. Um, I, I've seen executions. I've been the witness at uh, several executions, both uh, electric chair and uh, lethal injection. And uh, I, I feel like I'm living part of history, See, seeing it actually happen. That is the best thing about it. And then uh, as an investigative reporter, exposing wrongdoing is, is terrific. And on the flip side, what was the worst part about working in the news business? Well, I mean, there, there's, it's, it's a crazy business. It's very long hours. You know, you work holidays, you work crazy hours, uh, and there's a lot of pressure. Yeah. You know, there, there, there's, a, there's pressure to constantly produce, constantly be right. You hate to make a mistake. I mean, particularly with what I was doing, you couldn't make a mistake. You had to go on, on, on the paperwork and all. Uh, so there's, there, is, there is a lot of pressure. Yeah, I definitely imagine in your in your particular area, especially. I can't right. imagine what that was like. Right, for all that right. right. Uh, what would you like the world to know about TV news that might not be evident to the average person? Uh, to succeed in TV news, it's more than just being on TV. You know, it's it's hard work. It is very hard work, and you've got to be dedicated. If you um, don't love what you're doing, you're in the wrong business because it is all consuming all the time. I would wake up at three o'clock in the morning and think about a story that I, I was working on. Um, and it's not just the people on here. There are so many people behind the scenes, support people that make it work. And if you work with good people, it works very smoothly. If you work with bad people, it just totally falls apart from the photographer to the producers, to the APs, that there's a lot of people that you never see on the air that make it all happen. And it's not just that couple of minutes that you see on the air. You work for, in my case, sometimes weeks or months on a story to, to get it on the air. It, it's not simple, it's great fun, but it's very hard work. That is very well said. Now, you've worked on thousands and thousands of stories, but offhand, is there one in particular that had a really big impact on you? Well, there, 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 were, there were so many. Uh, in the past year or two, um, I helped send a uh, Tampa firefighter to prison because he also worked as the treasurer for a uh, charity that supported uh, orphans, li uh, living orphanage, actually. And he embezzled $355,000. Uh, yeah. And That's a lot of money. Uh, a lot of money. And nobody was doing anything about it. And uh, uh, finally, uh, we, we did the story. And the uh, U.S. attorney saw the story in Tampa. And according to the assistant U.S. attorney, who told me after the, the trial, he said to them the next day, what are we doing about this? And he said, we all sort of looked around and said nothing. He said, get the FBI out there tomorrow. 
and get that guy. And they did. And he finally agreed to plea uh, and, and spent uh, some time in prison because of it. it personally offended me. Stealing from orphans. How low can you get? It just, it just, it just bugged the hell out of me. So that, that was, that was one that, that uh, I really, really, really. Did they, did they ever recover the money or was it? Well, he was supposed to make restitution uh, on that, but uh, you know, he lost his job because of it. And also the fire chief drove me crazy here because he wouldn't fire the guy because he got an anonymous tip like I did, but the anonymous tip included the tax return the 990, all nonprofits, as an investigative reporter, if I do, do something on a nonprofit, I immediately get their tax return. It's called a 990. And it said in the 990 that he had embezzled the money. So he said, well, I can't act on anonymous tips. I said, you've got an IRS form. You can call the IRS like I did and, and find out that this is actually true. And he, he let the guy stay on for a while. He finally did fire him the day he was uh, arrested, but but uh, um, yeah, he, he's supposed to pay restitution, whether he will or not, or will be able to. I don't know. Whew. All right, now we got to talk about the vi- the elusive viral stories, the viral videos. I know you've right. probably you've probably seen quite a few go viral in your time in the news. Um, right. What attributes have you noticed that they tend to have? Like, how do you feel like a story goes viral? I think it's something that people that touches people's emotions. Uh, more than intellectual uh, uh, um, abilities. It, it's something that really gets to their heart. Uh, the, the, a couple that really come to mind quickly for me was we broke a story, I don't know how many years ago, five, six, seven years ago, about a quadriplegic who was arrested and the jail didn't believe he was a quad and they dumped him from his... Oh, I, rem- I remember that video. Oh, that went that went viral. I was great. What was crazy about the story though was he called me. I mean, being on the air as long as I was, I, I got a lot of tips and a lot of calls. So we get the call, and we go out there. And now it's his word. He's saying this happened because we didn't realize at that time that there was a taping system in the jail. And then he said, all of a sudden, you know, it's all on tape. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, cameras all over the place. It was sort of like probably before your time when Alexander Butterfield revealed that Nixon had taped everything in the White House. Nobody knew. He was at the Watergate hearings, and he mentioned, oh, yeah, it's all on tape. We tape everything in the, in the uh, Oval Office. Same thing with this guy. So I made a public records request for the videotape, and I didn't know if I had a story or not until I saw the tape. And they said, we'll try to get it to you. The guy who makes the tape leaves at 4 o'clock. So I tell the station, you've got to leave a, a huge hole in the newscast, like a three and a half minute hole. Mm-hmm. And I think I have a story, but I'm not sure. So I wasn't sure until four o'clock, we got the DVD. They didn't even look at it. I put it in my computer and, and I see him being arrested. I mean, rolling into the jail and all, and then I see him dump it and they dump him. And I went, we've got a story. Then I had to go to the sheriff's office. Their headquarters was away from the jail and show it to them because they had no idea what was happening. And so it became a national story. So people just freaked out. Uh, uh, about that, uh, and that went viral. Do you do you like this whole environment now, where now there's cameras everywhere? Everyone has a cell phone. Do you think that's a good thing, or do you think that's sort of a negative? I think it's a double-edged sword. I, I think it's good in some respect. Look what has happened in terms of the police shootings and the police violence. Um, so I, I think in that way, because sometimes in the past people say, "I didn't do that. I didn't do that." Well, it's right here 
on video. So obviously you did do that. Uh, another way is that our society has become so uh, full of, of um, it's almost like Big Brother looking at you everywhere you go. Every, so it's a double-edged sword. But if I had to vote one way or the other, I'd probably vote for, yeah, let's, let's have the cameras everywhere. for people in TV. You know, video is king. Yeah, and you were telling me yesterday when you started out, you had to develop your own film for stories. Is that right? We shot we shot on film. I, my first TV job was in 1968 in Columbia, Missouri at KLMU TV. The station was all black and white. Color TV was coming in, but we were black and white, and we shot it at that time on a wind up Bell and Howell three turret lens silent camera. You did a 45 second narration, but the, you would after you shot your film you would have to have it processed. And then even as I moved through other TV stations, um, you st we still shot film up until about 1980 or so. And, and uh, you would get in from your, your um, story each day and the film would go, we called it into the soup, into the processor. So you had to wait for that and then it would come. That's why news didn't happen after three o'clock because it had to be, be processed. And then we would splice it together when I started, it was with glue pots, but then we eventually went to uh, Scotch tape, and it, 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 it was it was a pain. <laughs> that your life, you must feel like it's a breeze now. Well, it, it, it is. Yeah, I, I shoot on little little SD cards right now, so it's it's pretty it's pretty amazing. It's really crazy the changes you you must have gone through. Yeah, well, when we first the video videotape. I mean, that was that was a huge thing because we could then get you know we could run it into the station and be closer to deadline and then we got live and, and, but i you know i visited a friend when i was still i, I worked in uh, norfolk virginia for 10 years at the nbc affiliate and um uh i we were still shooting film about 1980-ish my friend was in st louis at the cbs o and o it was KOMX time and they had switched to videotape and i i went there and i went we're not in the same business. Like it was Star Wars compared to what we were doing, but then uh, eventually everybody switched over to videotape. And that is crazy. That is crazy to think about what you yeah. what you had to do to get a story on the air when you first started. That's insane. Yeah. And, it, and right. it, wasn't, it wasn't what's called nonlinear editing. If you laid down a shot, you couldn't go back and insert mm -hmm. a, an earlier soundbite there and, and all. So I mean, it was it was it was very different. Wow. All right. So you've probably had over the years, a lot of media relations or PR people approach you or talk to you about story ideas. So for people who are watching that might work in those businesses, if you were to come up with some sort of guide on, you know, maybe best practices for people who are in that line of work, uh, you know, a lot of people watching this channel might be, what kind of things would you tell them? What, what kind of stuff would you include in a guide like that? Well, the, the first thing is personal relationships. That's, I mean, as a reporter, I would try to have coffee or go into somebody's office, even when I didn't have a story, just to, to establish a personal relationship. So I, I would try to establish personal relationships with not only reporters, but also assignment editors and, and, and maybe producers. Because what happens typically is that stories are pitched in a meeting. Even with the investigative unit, we met every Monday uh, with our whole unit. And we would pitch stories and they'd say, yeah, no, yeah, no. So you've got to have somebody, if you really want the story out there, someone who is pitching your story for you. And you've got to get them excited about it and understand why it's a good story and why it appeals to the viewer, not to your client, because nobody cares about how it, it appeals to your client. So if you can establish a relationship with reporters 
the best time to establish that relationship is prior to meeting them to help pitch the story. Same with assignment editors, who uh, the assignment editor, for those who don't know, pair, uh, keep a list of stories going on, what's happening in the area, and, and have to keep their ears to the radio and make contact. It's a very tough job. They only hear from management when something screws up. They never get congratulated when they do something right. The only time the assignment editor hears from someone is, is when they miss something. So, so it's a very tough job. But so if you're going to establish a relationship with an assignment editor uh, on the desk, find out who it is at the station, buy them a cup of coffee one morning. And, and then uh, producers. It, it's a people-to-people business, and that's how you, you have, to, have to do it. And then, again, keep in mind that there's pressure for a story that gets on the air to appeal to the audience. So you have to say when you talk to the person that you've now established the relationship with, this is why it will appeal to your audience. That's exactly. And we've gotten so many pitches that don't have those qualities, and yeah. they, they, we, can't, we couldn't do that. And they don't understand why. No. Yeah, right. No. All right. So there's a lot of a lot of YouTubers out there and some of them might be trying to work with media outlets or try to get media attention. What would you tell them? Like, what would be your advice to a YouTuber to try to get noticed by traditional media outlets? Well, you know, YouTube, it, it, there's a lot of YouTube that gets played on mainstream TV stations. There's a lot of YouTube that gets more views than, than mainstream uh, TV stations. But again, I would, it's the same type of thing. You need to establish that relationship with somebody and say, you know, this video might appeal to your audience. I mean, that, 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 that's what it's, it's the same thing as if you're a PR person. It's, 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 it's appealing to the audience uh, again and through a personal relationship. Exactly. All right. So there are a lot of young people who might be considering a career in broadcast journalism. In fact, I just talked to somebody today who wanted to be a reporter and was asking me what they should do. Um, what kind of advice would you give them right now if they're trying to break into it? Okay, get a broad educational background if you haven't already done that. It's not, you've got to have some journalism, but you also need to know about economics and you need to know about history and you need to know about current events. Read the news yeah. all the time, uh, whether it's online or I like the tactical feel of the newspaper. So I, I, I when the Tampa Tribune was here, I used to do the Trib and the Times cover to cover. I read a lot of online things, but you got to know what's going on in your world, and 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 that's local too. Know who your police chief is. Know who your state attorney is. Know at least one or two members of your city council and county commission. Go to those meetings. Yeah. Find out what's going on. That's where stories happen. And understand that it's hard work, and that that if you want to succeed in this business, there is no substitute for hard work. I know a lot of smart people that fail in this business because they don't want to work hard. And I know a lot of people like me that maybe aren't the smartest people in the world, but work hard and succeed. And you just, you just outwork everybody else. That's I, I always tried to do that. Always tried to do that. Now, you recent earlier this year, you decided to retire after your nearly 50-year career. Can you kind of walk people through why you decided to leave the business? Well, yeah, the, the business was changing. Our station was 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 changing, and uh, I didn't like the direction they, that, it, that it was going in. There were some things I wanted to do I didn't necessarily want to do, and there were other things I wanted to do in life. I had written a book that, that I wanted to finish that's currently with an editor because uh, it, it's, it was 703 pages, uh, 155,754 words, which is way too much. 
So, but I wanted to, I wanted to get that done, and I was completely candid in the book, so I couldn't publish that while I was there. I wanted to do documentaries, which I'm doing now. I'm in the middle of three documentaries right now, and I wanted to do commentary, and so I'm and I'm doing commentary now on online. None of those could I do while I was still at the TV station. I was uh, in a financial position to be able to do that. I've, I've been very fortunate in in that, and uh, it just it just it seemed like the right time. And a lot of people don't understand that people on air at TV stations, you are a little bit restricted as to things you can do in your outside life. And people don't, I don't think they understand that. That's right. Particularly, like you couldn't have had a news YouTube channel while working at Channel 10. No, because, because I, um, I call people out and uh, uh, I'm, I'm very opinionated, it always was. But now I, I can actually say, you know, this is a boneheaded move or or I can do things about politics and, and why this is good or why why this is bad. And all. And I, I could not have done that at the TV station. No, and I'm very curious to know, what is your favorite social media platform right now? Well, um, I like YouTube to be able to use YouTube, but still in all, Facebook is the 800-pound gorilla. I mean, it, it, it's, it's still, and I have some problems with the way they manipulate things. I mean, they're much more manipulative than any other uh, um, social media platform. But if you want to reach the masses, unfortunately, it seems like Facebook, and in some cases, YouTube, but but not not as much. You, you know, I get a lot more hits on Facebook mm-hmm. than on YouTube, although uh, some of the things that you and I have been talking about. Yeah, I really think you, I really think you could be huge on YouTube, like doing doing some sort of week like weekly or daily show you've yeah. been doing this thing on facebook called if i were king right where, where you kind of say like if i were king i would do this and that seems to be catching on yeah i'm, I'm getting a lot of response i mean some sometimes i get more response on that than, than we got on the 11 o'clock news and viewers as viewership drops off when and we were talking yesterday and by the way if you i actually just met mike literally yesterday we've we've worked with the same people and we worked in the same market but we didn't really know each other until one day ago i already feel like you're an old friend which is awesome but the one thing i really that really strikes me about you is how willing you are to embrace and love technology rather than shy away for it from it or be resistant to change so like what do you think makes you like that because there aren't a lot of people that are so so into it well i I think it's a couple of things. I realized, you know, starting with film and seeing how everything changed, that if you don't keep up with it, I mean, when we went to video in, in, in Virginia, in Norfolk, some of the photographers who shot film all their lives, just they couldn't cope with it. They couldn't understand that the audio and video were on different tracks and all that. So that was one thing. So I realized you had to do that. Also, um, I, I write music and uh, all the music is digital. You have to you have to be able to work with computers and, 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 and digital. I've got a digital studio at home for my music, so I, I had to do do both. And and so uh, even though, uh, as I said, you know, I'm I'm an old guy, uh, I, I try to keep up with technology, and I, I it's so fascinating on, on what it can do. I I, I have to tell you, um, uh, my my daughter uh, gave birth uh, five weeks ago to our second grandchild, and I was holding them a couple of days ago, thinking. What is his life going to be when he's my age? I can't fathom it because the things that have gone on just in my lifetime are so fantastic. So I don't know. It, that's it, it, that's amazing. I do think 
I think you should seriously lean into YouTube because I really think YouTube could use somebody like you there. <laughs> please, please. Okay, all right. So let's we'll talk after the show. We'll we'll talk more and uh, and and get you more into the YouTube. There's and that's the thing I've noticed about YouTube is that there's a lot of younger people that are interested in news, but they don't want to watch TV. They they want to get it from someone they trust and. They seem to have a, a distrust of the media. Right, and so many people get it from right here. From the exactly. So you, you, and you seem to understand that. Now, um, can you tell people, so you've been working on this book and you've been working on the documentaries, where, I'm sure there's a lot of people that will be interested in reading the book and watching them. Where can they do that? Well, the, the, the book will be out sometime probably in the spring. It'll be on Amazon. It, uh, in some some other places, but Amazon will be probably the prime place. It's, it's called uh, Bad News for You is Good News for Me. Uh, <laughs> Which is kind of your life in a nutshell. That's, that's that that really sums up your career. <laughs> it does. Uh, the documentaries, the, the first one is on the um, economic impact of uh, climate change in Florida. I, am the, I, I was hired to do that. I'm not producing that. I was just a hired journalist and interviewer and writer and talent for that. The guy who's producing it, thinks he can get it on Netflix. I hope that he can, uh, because it'll help me with my others. The others I'm just in the middle of shooting right now. We're almost done with the climate change documentary. Um, so if, if that works, I'm also working on one that I am producing about uh, autonomous uh, vehicles. Uh, driverless I think that's something cars. your grandson will have when he's old. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't, think awesome. ever, I don't think he'll ever learn to drive a car. Really? They'll, yeah, they'll all, be, they'll all be able to drive themselves. That's right. They'll be able to drive themselves. So um, I'm hoping that if, if the climate change one gets onto Netflix, that this will then be able to follow it. I'll have an entree under that. And then I'm working on one about problems with uh, teaching kids to read. The school system is doing a terrible job. And most of the texts that they use, they have uh, data that shows it doesn't work. But the companies that uh, own these products also make millions of dollars in campaign contributions to some of the legislators and, and people who make the decisions. So um, I'm trying to expose that. So I'm doing the same stuff. I've yeah, thought. exactly. People have this misconception that because you retired from Channel 10, you're like laying on a beach somewhere. Yes, I am and that couldn't be farther from the truth. No, I'm not watching uh, Dr. Phil and reruns. <laughs> uh, you I, are I, working. You are, you are not stopping. And, and you're still a journalist. You're just doing it in a different way. In a different platform. But I, see, I think journalism is going to a different platform. I don't think in five, ten years, I might be wrong, that there will be, let's see, in our market, we have uh, four stations doing news. I don't think there will be four stations doing news. Ten years. So what do you, what do you think is going to happen to the news business? Well, I, I still think it's a good time because there are so many platforms. But I think it's going to be on over computer or phone or some technology we're not even sure of. There'll still always be a need for someone who can shoot, write, and produce a story. So I'm still high on the business, or, or I'm high on journalism. The TV business is in a bit of an interesting place right now. What do you think TV stations can do to remain relevant and to really survive? Well, that's really tough. Uh, I, if, if I were in charge, if I were king, you were king. Of, of a TV station, I would do a, a, t, uh, a newscast for older people because they're the ones that are watching TV. And, and I, would, I would say we're the adult station. We are, we are not uh, going to tell you who uh, Britney Spears and, and Christine Aguilera are battling it out for and, and all that. 
and, and that's what the TV stations are doing. I think they make a huge mistake. My kids and their friends range, range from uh, 26, 27 to almost 40. And none of them, none of them watch TV news. If they would ever comment when I was working at the station about one of my stories, it's because they saw it on Facebook or, or YouTube. So the TV stations are making an endless battle to get the younger demographics that are not there, where older people, people my age who have a ton of disposable income and are interested in the news, watch the newscasts. So that's what I would do. Uh, but then the problem is when people my age, the baby boomers, when we die off, that's when the newscast, I mean, it, the TV news business, I hate to say it, is almost like being in the typewriter business. You can see it coming. It think, things are changing. So they have to focus their efforts online, uh, I think, and, and, on, and on mobile or on some technology that's not there. But there, it doesn't look good. The future, to me, looks uh, wor worse for newspapers and bad for TV. So if you were trying to get into reporting now, would you kind of look to more alternative media like the online outlets or? I might. Yeah, I might. Platform? The, the, only, the only reason I might go to the TV stations is they pay more money right now. But I don't think that's always going to be the case. I think there will be online outlets um, that, that, that are paying a decent salary and all. And to get the experience of the TV station with the bigger staff because the online outlets, they expect you to do more, do your own shooting. I mean, for... Some of the, one of the documentaries, there's photographers, the ones I'm producing, uh, because I'm cheap, I'm shooting, I'm writing, I'm the talent, I'm right, doing the music for it, you know, uh, but at the TV stations that you have a bigger, bigger staff, but I think it's going to be more self-contained as well. Yeah, and that's something that we, you and I have been finding out with making our own videos, like a, I'm learning to do graphics and it's, right. there's just a lot of it. There's a lot more working parts that you have to to get together right. and you've been doing your own graphics for the if i were king stuff oh yeah yeah so, and, and I, I did a lot at the, at the tv station and, and i edited it a lot uh you know my, my shooting I, I shot a little bit i'm shooting more now and the equipment has come down it's, it's so much in price you, you know I, I have all sorts of equipment that i can can use yeah, the barrier the barriers to entry if you want to create videos they're so low it's, right. it's so accessible to people so i tell people like don't worry necessarily about the gear just tell the story that's right. I mean, there, there, there was a reporter in Houston, I think it was Houston, who did all his stories on his iPhone. And, and quite candidly, the iPhone video is as good as the DSLR. Yeah, you uh, couldn't tell. You can't yeah, you, tell sometimes. You can't tell. It, it, the problem is when you go in to interview someone uh, with an iPhone, they don't Yeah, they're like, serious. really? Yeah. If you set up the whole thing with the light kit and the DSLR and I've got all that and they go, oh, this, this guy really is professional. Truth is, this is just as good quality. And I use it as, as a third camera because I have a GoPro and I have a couple other little things. But you can shoot on an iPhone and look great. And I shot some stuff at the TV station. We were doing some undercover stuff every once in a while. I would shoot it on the iPhone so we'd have extra cameras. And it looked, like you say, you couldn't tell the difference. No, that's, it's so interesting to see. And, and some I saw a YouTuber, he had a good point. He's like, you know what, the quality of an iPhone is better than Spike Lee when he shot Do the Right Thing. Absolutely, which is, yeah. Which, it's when amazing. you think about it that way, like the quality we have now on a phone is better than filmmakers did in like the 1980s. I know, it is. It, 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 it is absolutely frightening. Well, Mike, I'm, I, this has been such a great time talking to you, and I think for people watching, hopefully you, you learned something from this man, because I definitely have. And I want to give you the opportunity to ask people watching any question you want. What kind of question of the day do you have for people? The question I would have 
is what is important, so important to your life that it would make you tune in to either a webcast or a newscast every day to find out about what's the latest with that particular event. That, 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 that I would really like to know that. You know, what would you say? Well, I, I've got to know whether it's the price of Bitcoin or, or what, what the president has done or, or what. But I want to know, you know, what gets that visceral feeling inside of you where you got, I've got to find out. And if I don't tune in, go to that webcast or, 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 or YouTube or TV station, I don't feel like I'm missing something. That's, that's what I really would like to know. That is a very good question. Well, Mike Deason, thank you so much. And for all of you watching, thank you. And if you are a fellow XTV newser and want to be featured here, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at XTV producer. Hit me up because I would love to talk to you as well. And Mike, really best. I, I can't wait to see what, like, seriously, I really don't think you are done at all. Like, <laughs> no. You could be like the next huge YouTuber and look like that would be, that would be so awesome. You know, you, you end up having this 50 year career in news and then you end up also blowing up somewhere else. That, like, that's what I would want for you. Well, thanks. That's, that's wonderful. And I, again, I, I, I congratulate you on this. And what's terrific, I, you are obviously a people person. Like, like Jennifer said, we just met yesterday. I feel like she's a long lost friend. And, and I know that this will be a, a relationship that will uh, continue besides uh, this little uh, uh, chat that we've had here today. And, and Mike, also, where can people find you online if they want to follow okay. you? Yeah, the, uh, right now, the, uh, Decent Media. Uh, on Facebook or Mike Deason on Facebook. I've got them both. And I've got a Mike Deason YouTube channel. And I'm also going to migrate some of those If I Were King into an If I Were King YouTube channel. And you know, I was even thinking um, podcasts are really big right now too. Like you could totally do a, like put some of that stuff in a podcast. I could. Yeah. And it I would was, be I was, really, I was, I was people thinking, would listen. I, I would hope so. <laughs> so anyways, we're excited to see what Mike does next. Thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate you doing this. Thanks, Jennifer. Have a great day. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of XTV Producer. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can be notified about every new episode. And if you are listening on iTunes, definitely leave us a review and let us know what you think.